Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Amen. Hey guys, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm not used to questions. Uh, so glad that you guys decided to join us in worship today to study God's word. I'm excited to share with you the message that God has placed on my heart. But to start off, I really want to give you a history lesson. So those of you who loved history class, yes. Those of you who hated it, sorry. Uh, in 1986, okay, there was a clash between the Chinese government and their citizens. You see, around that time, university students and other people were being exposed to new ideas and they saw other booming economies and they witnessed better standards of living and they were seeing firsthand what freedom and liberty looked like and so they were protesting the government for reform. And at that time, China was actually experiencing economic growth and prosperity, but because of corruption and inflation and, um, and just some other factors, its citizens saw very little improvements. And so these protests were designed to, to kind of let them know, hey guys, we, we need something else. We need, we need to change things up. And there was a massive pushback and crackdowns from obviously the government. And then in 1989, the Chinese government declared martial law. These protests got so big and out of hand that they declared martial law. And if you don't know what martial law is, it's when you pretty much give the military power to govern. And the soldiers were called to clear the Tiananmen Square. And sadly, during that time, many protesters and bystanders and soldiers, they lost their lives that day. It was just, it was a, the death toll was very high. But the action succeeded on behalf of the government because what they wanted to do happened. Protesters cleared the area. The opposition to the government saw the army coming in and they sought refuge instead of confrontation. And then this happened. I got a photo for you. Amidst an entire convoy of military tanks, one solo man, tank man as he is called, stands in front of these tanks, armed with only his grocery bags, and he does not permit them to pass. And then the tanks actually try to get around him. They actually kind of turn their tracks and they, they start to go around and he actually moves in front of them and waves them down and does not let them move. Okay, he does not back down. And this is a very powerful image. Now, no one knows who this tank man is. Not even his friends or family have come forward over the years. And we don't even know what really happened to him after this photo. But this man symbolizes so much by such a simple and bold act. See, in the face of massive adversary and oppression, sorry, adversity and oppression, he stood strong. He was anchored in his convictions and not even the full force of military China could shake him. Now I tell you that because I wanna paint a picture of what Paul and Barnabas are going through in today's passage. You see, Paul and Barnabas are sent on a mission. They are to preach the gospel. But in our story, at every turn, they are met by persecution. They're met with hostility. And, and I don't think we quite understand what that looks like sometimes. I think we as Western Christians, we're, we're very comfortable here in this country. And we hear persecution, and so we think, oh, well, that's disagreement. Or, or we think, oh, it's, they, were, you know, they were uncomfortable. You know, or they were challenged. That's what we think it's like being persecuted. 
And so I honestly fear that we might be tempted to read this story and hear this persecution and just water it down. And so what I want you to do is keep that picture in your mind. Okay, Paul and Barnabas are staring down immense pressure and persecution. Because what they're doing is they're challenging the very foundation of culture. They're calling out these religious leaders as being on the wrong side of God's word. And they're not only that, but they're inviting into God's kingdom the unwanted, right? The Gentiles, the people that were outside of God's covenantal family line. And they're risking their lives to say what they're saying. And the reason that they're risking their lives is because of how important this message is to God's plan. Now, remember, most of us, if not all of us, were Gentiles, right? And so that message to us is God loves you and he died for you and you can have a relationship with him through Jesus, right? Come to the table. And Paul and Barnabas are just met with persecution. They're met with attacks, threats, with force by those tanks, right? And yet still they preach. Still they speak with boldness and authority. They are unshaken, anchored in Christ, firmly planted amidst the stormy seas. Now, as I was studying this passage, I was wrestling, honestly, for a while because I could have taken this a different ways, or several different ways. Again, persecution is one of them, right? I could have talked about, um, you know, Paul and Barnabas are facing real persecution. It's, it's not just uncomfortable. These are tough, or these are not just tough conversations, but these are attacks, these are schemes. And actually at the end of the passage we're gonna read, they end up fleeing for their lives. And so I could have talked about how to handle persecution in the moment, uh, preached, you know, we need to respond like Paul did. I could have also talked about um, how to present the gospel, how to preach the gospel, how to, how to evangelize or how to respond in trials. But ultimately, as I was wrestling with that, I'm like, I don't, I just, I was uneasy. Not because of those messages, or those messages are great, but I'm like, I don't, I don't, I, no, I feel like God is wanting me to say something else. And ultimately, I just kept coming back to this overwhelming sense of gratitude. Reading and studying this passage, I was just blown away by God's grace and his faithfulness and his love for me. And so I found myself so amped up and excited in thankfulness, not only for God's gospel, but for those men and women like Paul and Barnabas who preached this message, who shared this message despite staring down that convoy of tanks. Because this message is for me, right? God wants me to know the truth about who he is and what he's done. And he wants that for my wife and my kids and, and their friends and their friends. And, and he wants that for you guys, my church family. He wants everyone to know the good news that God sent his son, Jesus, to save the world. And even though we are not lucky enough to be born an Israelite, that's no longer a requirement for God's favor. The gospel is such that because of his immense love and grace and mercy through the work of Jesus Christ, by faith, through grace, all who come to him will be saved. And so as we study today's passage, you're gonna see the power of God at work in Paul and Barnabas. Right? You're going to see their boldness in proclaiming a message that, again, was countercultural. It was deemed heretical and even blasphemous, okay? which, again, is dangerous. But I, what I really hope that you take away from today's message is that sense of gratitude that I have, just how awesome and wonderful our God is and how privileged we are to be included and extended his grace. And if you've yet to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
I pray that you will see that on full display, that God's grace is so overwhelmingly good and he loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. This, this is truly the greatest story ever told and I'm really blessed to be able to share it with you. I'm excited, and, uh, but like I always like to do, would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for um, just this time of worship so far. Thank you for everybody singing and God just lifting their hearts to you. I pray, God, that as we study your word, you would be glorified. You would be magnified. God, that we would see you more clearly. God, I pray for our hearts to be open to what you have for us this morning. God, that we would continue that posture, bless you, posture of worship. We would continue to look to you. And God, I pray for my friends here that they would just see you and your gospel and, your, and, and just be filled with gratitude. We love you and we praise you. God, and I, I ask one more thing that, God, that you would silence me if, if I'm speaking out of turn. God, they don't need to hear from me. No one does. They need to hear from you. And so, God, I pray that you would use me as your mouthpiece, that you would speak through me, God, and you would touch hearts. You would change lives. Pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. You guys excited to be in church? Yes. All right. Uh, as we always do, we always walk through our uh, Bible passage. We're through line by line. We'll stop along the way on certain stops. So it does help if you have your Bibles with you or if you have your notes. If you don't, it will be on the screen behind me. If you are watching online, everybody like wave and say, hello online. There you go. Um, those watching online, it's probably going to be like right here, possibly. <laughs> or if it's the close-up view, it's like right here. But anyway, that's where it'll be. We're going to be in Acts 13. So go ahead and open your Bibles or your apps to Acts 13. And we're going to start in verse 42. <clears throat> As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Okay, now this is high praise for any preacher to get. Like your sermon was so good, Paul. Can you preach again, right? Can you please come back next week and preach? And we don't have time to walk through that message again. That was what Pastor James walked us through last week. So if you missed it, you can go online, watch on our YouTube page or on our OCC podcast. We post the sermons up there as well. Um, but the sermon that Paul and Barnabas preached was incredibly impactful and meaningful to the crowds because it was connecting dots for them, right? Seeing scripture fulfilled and actually being played out is, is a beautiful thing. And so these people have never heard anything like this. And so they're hungry for more. And so they ask for, for Paul and Barnabas to preach again. They're like, hey, can you come back next Saturday? Like, we're going to bring our friends. They need to hear it too. Verse 43. And after the meeting in the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, I think this is the birth of this celebrity pastor, right? Because now these guys are being followed around by this crowd. And when I say followed, I mean that in both senses, right? They're, they're literally being followed around by this crowd, but this crowd is following what they're talking about. And so this new group of believers are going up to their pastor and they're asking them those midpoint questions, right? They're trying to understand God more and they're needing direction and encouragement and, and, and uplifting and all of those things. And so Paul and Barnabas, they urge them to continue to abide in Jesus. They're like, guys, you're doing great. You know, keep on living and continuing in the grace of God. Keep crediting the gospel as righteousness. Keep receiving the spirit and his influence in your life. 
and you will continue to live under the favor and approbation of God. And then Paul and Barnabas, after having just so many people say, hey, can you come back and preach? I'm not really sure. Can you come back and preach? They're just like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll stay another little while and then we'll preach again. Okay, they accept to stay on for a while and, and preach their message. Verse 44. Then the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So now a week has passed, but I don't want you to think that they were just tucked away in Holiday Inn or whatever. Like they were, they were out and they were working most likely, right? Knowing what we know from Paul and Barnabas, they were starting small groups or Bible studies and things like that. And so Saturday rolls around again and the crowds gather to hear part two of their sermon. And, and of course the town is all abuzz and the synagogue is a lot more fuller than usual. And I can just imagine some of those people showing up, right? Their, their usual regulars just heading to their seats and they find that random person sitting in their seat. That's their seat, right? And there's that universal awkward exchange that we all do. It's like the... Right? We've all been there. Like, we, we know what we're talking about. And so church ensues and Paul and Barney just jump right back in and they start preaching Jesus. Okay? Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds... Now, I'm going to stop right there. Jews, it should be understood that this is a generalization, right? Luke most likely means that this is the Jewish religious leaders at the time. And so they, <clears throat> excuse me, they speak for the town. Um, and so they're filled with jealousy and they begin to contradict what was spoken by Paul and they're reviling him. Now just stop and think for a second. Why would they be jealous? Like I could understand if they were mad or offended. Like for instance, if somebody came up here and they were preaching uh, um, an anti-Jesus message, and people started listening to them. Like, I don't think I would be jealous. I think I would be like heartbroken. And I'd be mad the one that they were preaching the message, but if people started believing them and following them, I would be heartbroken. Cause I'm like, man, you guys are being led astray. Like, don't you know God's love for you? Like, that's how I would feel. I would feel compassion. I would feel heartbroken for what's going on. But that's not what it says here. It says they were um, jealous, right? And so we have to think, why are they filled with jealousy? Why are they jealous? Well, first off, what is jealousy? Well, jealousy is just the expression of envy, right? They have what I want. And so what do Paul and Barnabas have that they want? They have the ear of the people. They're gathering crowds and they're gaining a following of their message. That's what the leaders really want. They want that ear. They want, they want them to listen to them. Now, I want you to contrast that with the righteous jealousy that God has. So if you remember in Exodus 20, God says that he is a jealous God. But you see, when God is jealous, it's because God knows what's best for us. And not only that, he knows what he deserves. Okay, God deserves our worship because he is God. Like he is worthy of our worship. And so when he doesn't get what he rightfully deserves and we worship all those little G gods, as the creator of all things, he gets rightfully jealous because we are robbing him. But that's not what's going on here, right? These guys are, are, these religious leaders are not being robbed. This is just good old fashioned evil jealousy. And they're jealous again because Paul and Barnabas have taken their authority. They've stolen their influence, their power, and they're jealous out of their pride and selfishness. Because again, look how they respond with contradictions and reviling. And in essence, what they're doing is they're crying out blasphemy against Paul and Barney. 
And so they start hurling these massive verbal attacks at both of these guys, at not only what they're saying, but who they are as people. Now, this is actually called uh, an ad hominem. Have you guys ever heard that before? It's a faulty debate tactic. So it's when you attack the person rather than their argument to discredit the, the argument, okay? So let me give you an example. Um, if I were to tell you that, I don't know, uh, let's just go with something that's, that's not gonna be inflammatory. The Niners are the best team in the NFL, okay? <laughs> an ad hominem would be, well, what do you know? You're bald, right? It's an attack against me as a person. It's not addressing the argument. But by insulting me, you hope to discredit the argument. And it's kind of a last-ditch effort to win the debate. Because if you can't really articulate a reason against the claim, then it might be because you can't actually refute what is being argued. And so these religious leaders, they cannot argue against Paul and Barnabas. Because remember, Paul is a Pharisee. Right? He knew the scriptures very well. And so he is convincing the crowds with sound doctrine, not just elegant words and funny jokes. And so what I think is happening here is that these Jewish leaders are, are being proven scripturally that they're wrong. And, and they, they mentioned something, well, what about this? And Paul's like, well, actually, this is how you interpret that. Okay, what about, well, actually, Moses meant this. And so they're just kind of getting frustrated. And so they turn to ad hominems as a last ditch effort. But here's the truth. Slandering Paul and Barnabas as being bad people or wicked or ugly or whatever has no effect on the truth of what they are preaching. Just like me being bald has nothing to do with the fact that the Niners are first place in their division, which is ahead of the Seattle Seahawks. I'm just saying, right? Let's, let's go Niners. Anyway, verse 46. Thank you for laughing. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. Guys, this is where it starts to get good. This is where I was, I was studying this and I was like, this is so cool. All right, listen to this. God is speaking to Paul and Barnabas for our benefit right here. And, and we're gonna walk through this a little bit. So if you have your Bibles open, or if you have that, we're, we're gonna kind of be picking through this verse. <clears throat> I want to walk us through this, this next part. Paul says, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you Jews, right? Now look at Luke 24, verse 47. This is what Jesus says, that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Okay. Jesus first told them you need to preach this gospel in Jerusalem, offer the message of salvation of the risen Christ to the Jews first, right? Jews first, then the Gentiles. Which is why Paul and Barnabas are now preaching in the synagogue, right? And then he says, but since they thrust it aside and judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. Now, what this can mean is two different things. Either they consider the message of Christ so contemptible, so contemptuous that they throw it away, right? Or it's a really strong irony, and I don't want to mess this up, so I, I'm going to read a commentary from Adam Clark. It'll be on the screen. Ye have such humbling thoughts of yourself that ye think the blessings of the gospel too good to be bestowed on such worthless wretches as ye are. Or did the apostle mean that by their words and conduct on this occasion, they had passed sentence on themselves and in effect had decided that they were unworthy of the grace of the gospel? 
And God now ratifies that judgment by removing those blessings from them and sending them to the Gentiles. Okay, so either way, whether rejected outright or through misplaced humility or their actions, the offer is now open to all people. Okay, all people, which means us, right? It means you and me. So Paul continues, verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay, now this is an Old Testament reference. Okay, Isaiah 49, 6 says this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Read that again. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Do you guys see that? This is so beautiful. God says, it is too small a thing to just save Israel, right? That's too small of a vision for what God has in store for all of his creation. It wasn't just to save this small portion of the human race, right? Which was his, his chosen people. But through his chosen people, God's son would come and save all who come to him. And he says that the plan all along was to save Jews and Gentiles. And that his salvation, the salvation of Jesus Christ, should be extended to every person in the world. That's why John 3.16 says, for God so loved Israel, right? No, God so loved the people over there. No, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, black, white, brown, green, or purple, whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. And so this is when it all starts to click. You guys see why I'm excited? This is so cool. This is where it all clicks for the people and the joy of the Lord starts to take hold. Okay, you see, up until this point, it was understood that it was Israel and everybody else, right? Israel was varsity. Everyone else was JV. Okay, this is what it, how it was for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. It's like being on the outside of an inside joke. You guys know what an inside joke is? It's, it's when two or more people have this joke that there's like a backstory that you don't know and they laugh at it and you're like, I, I'm, I, I'm totally lost. I have no idea what's going on. And then you ask them about it and they explain it to you and you're like, this isn't funny. Like, I don't know why you guys are still laughing. Do you even have a sense of humor? And they're like, oh, and what do they always say? He had to be there, right? Oh, he had to be there. It's still not funny. But anyway, the, <laughs> the whole time you're just left feeling left out, right? Like I'm just out of the loop. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm clueless. This is what Israel has been doing for thousands of years because it's always been about them. They are the chosen people, right? They're the ones who are important. But then Paul and Barnabas say, not anymore. Now everyone's in on this. Jews and Gentiles are on equal playing ground. It's for everybody. Now I wish you could really just understand the gravity of this, right? The God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is no longer just exclusive to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? The Jesus that, when Jesus died, the veil was torn. It was split in two. And what separated God's presence from the rest of the world was, was torn away. The cherubim with the flaming swords at the entrance of the, of the Garden of Eden, it's like they've been removed. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, God is now inviting 
everyone to know him. And, and through Jesus as our great mediator and high priest, we can stand before God unafraid. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, man, they were stoked. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This is huge, right? There's pandemonium in the streets. People are like, are you kidding me? God's grace now extends to me? Like little old me? I don't have to be a Jew anymore? I don't, I don't have to follow all these rules and, and do all these rituals and ceremonies. I don't have to clean myself up. God not only wants me, but he sees me and he offers his love and his grace to me. And everybody who's hearing that message, they're like, oh man, I, I need that God in my life. And they're believing and they're saved. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This message of hope was now for all. Everyone was getting this message. The God that the Jews worship, okay? Again, the, the, the varsity God, your JV, the varsity God. The God that the Jews worship. The God who parted the Red Sea and defeated Egypt. Or, or the God who was with David that, that brought down the, the giant and the Philistines, the God who judged Assyria and Babylon and all those other dynasties, the God of Elijah who mocked all the other gods and brought down fire from heaven, the God Jesus who performed miracles, healed the sick, made the blind man see, and the God who raised that same Jesus from the dead, he's now accessible. And, and he not only knows you, but he offers his grace to you. And God's kingdom is just naturally exploding with believers. But put yourself on, on the religious Jewish leader's shoes. Okay, they've been playing the game, been grinding year after year after year. And then these two missionaries show up and they, and they say, you know, all those rules that you guys have been doing and all the practices that you follow and all the rituals and all the times you've studied and all the things you've memorized in order to just remain in God's presence yeah, we're going to sidestep those now. And, and those heathens that you've been trying to kind of keep on the outside, yeah, they now can experience the same level of God's blessing and God's presence. And not only that, but these missionaries are making a really good case as to why that is. And every time you try to say something, you're like, oh, I didn't think about it that way, right? You have no real response and your theology is just poof, it's gone. How would you feel? Like you, you'd be mad, yeah, be angry. I'm going to get these guys out of town. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Again, keep that picture in mind in that persecution. Stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. These Jews drive them out because they're preaching against their exclusive club, right? This is like Costco on steroids. <laughs> Can you imagine paying all your dues to Costco like year after year or month after month? I don't know how, my wife takes care of that. So however it is, I don't know. But you pay your dues, right? You, you do your thing. And then that one neighbor is, is like walking in behind you. And we all have that one neighbor, you know what I'm talking about? And they walk in and you look back and like that lady who looks for the card, she just like, come on in. Oh, here's, here's a coupon page. You're like, wait a second. Like, no, that's not Okay. This is how the Jewish religious leaders felt. Like they, they were infuriated. Like, what are you doing? And so of course, in response, they gather all their people together and they talk with the powers that be, all the right players, because they need to make Costco great again, right? But look at this response of, of Paul and Barnabas. It's just, it's really, really beautiful. 
Verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Now for us in 2023, we might read this part and, and not really understand. Like we might just think that they're listening to that great theologian, Taylor Swift, they're Swifties, and, and they're just shaking off the haters, right? But this is actually a very significant declaration. I made myself laugh on my own joke, sorry. <laughs> uh, so you might remember that Jesus said in Matthew 10, 14, that if people do not receive them or listen to them, they are to shake the dust off their feet. Okay, and what that was is that was, there was a practice of keeping Israel sacred. When Jews would travel uh, abroad or travel to other heathen countries, upon arriving into Jerusalem, they would shake the dust off their feet because they wanted to preserve the sanctity of Israel. Okay, they didn't want to pollute even the dust or contaminate the holy ground, even with the dirt from these outside countries or nations. And so that's, this is really significant because what are Paul and Barnabas doing? They're not in Israel, right? Or they're not in Jerusalem. So a new line is now being drawn. It's no longer Israel and everyone else. It's now Christians and everyone else. And so Saul and Barnabas shake the dust off of their feet as messengers of this new covenant under Christ. They're not shaking the dust off their feet before going into Jerusalem. They're shaking the dust off their feet before preaching Jesus has been risen from the grave. The gospel of Christ is now the new holy ground. The gospel extending to all peoples of every nation is the new holy ground, which means you and I being offered God's grace is the new holy ground. And so this shaking off the dust is really a sign. They don't want this group of Jews, their unbelief, their hostility, their rejection of God's holy message to taint this new glorious message. And so they're drawing a new line in the sand. Verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Yes, of course they were. Because look at what God is doing. Now, even in the face of such hostility and persecution and resistance, even in the face, again, of those tanks bearing down at them, God is moving and God is working. Salvation is being received. God is being praised and revival is happening. And those firmly anchored in Christ are filled with joy at the very presence of God despite the persecution. I like the way Adam Clark says it in this commentary. <clears throat> Though in the world they had tribulation... Yet in Christ, they had peace. And while engaged in their master's work, they always had their master's wages. The happiness of a genuine Christian lies far beyond the reach of earthly disturbances and is not affected by the changes and chances to which mortal things are exposed. The martyrs were more happy in the flames than their persecutors could be on their beds of down. We're going out to Chapter 14, verse 1. <clears throat> now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So notice what Paul and Barney are doing. They're going again to the Jewish spaces. They're following the words of Christ, right? Jew first, then the Gentile. And so it seems like Paul and Barnabas did not completely abandon the Jews, right? They were continuing to preach them and to offer them this, this message of salvation, because again, this message is so beautiful. And again, droves of people are coming to Christ. Verse two. 
But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the believers. Now, just like before, Luke says, these are the Jews, most likely these are the, the religious leaders, the, the, the town leaders, and so they speak for, for most of the town. And just like before, these guys are going around and they're riling up the crowd. In this case, they're now riling up also unbelieving Gentiles and those paganistic heathens just to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. Verse three. So, because of all that, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, this word boldly keeps coming up, right? Why does Luke continue to say that Paul and Barnabas are speaking boldly? Because again, they're staring down tanks, right? They're, they are being persecuted. It went against all sensibility. Like we have to keep reminding ourselves that this message that they are preaching, this message that we get to preach is a dangerous one because it upsets the balance of society. It upsets political parties. It shakes marriages and families. It puts brother against father, mother against daughter. The gospel message then is the same as it is now. It's a sharp two-edged sword. It's a drastic and monumental shift in every sense of the word. But it's so beautiful because it is dripping with God's grace and love for sinners in need of a savior. And so that's why Luke just keeps reminding us, Paul and Barnabas are speaking in boldness because they are acting as sheep amidst wolves. They are men staring down the tanks of society. Now this oppression and persecution would have silenced anybody else, right? But again, they're anchored in Jesus. They're anchored by the gospel. Paul and Barnabas, they stand firm and they remain in the same area preaching the gospel to all nations because this message is too precious, even though they are being persecuted. Verse four, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. Now, we understand this, right? This is, this is kind of typically the case. Some are going to accept and some are gonna always refuse. And, and all I can think about is why people refuse. Uh, there, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of them is comfort, like some people even today find comfort in religion, right? Because you can go, you know what? If I, if I just do A and B and C and D, then I can say I'm at least in good standing with God. You know, if I'm a good person, God's gotta let me in, right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a good guy. Really, it's all about control. We have to be in control, even of our own salvation. You know, I control what I give. I control how often I go to church. I control how often I serve. And what we can end up doing is we can lie to ourselves and rationalize that we're actually in good standing with God based on how I view myself or how other people view us. And so what we end up saying is, you know what? My religion is enough. I don't need Jesus because I'm doing all the things I need to do. But Jesus didn't die and defeat death so that we would be religious. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. People have said uh, in a critique of Christianity, that just believing and being saved is, is too easy, right? Salvation by faith, that's just too easy. You gotta do something, you gotta control it, right? You gotta do something. Salvation by faith, that's too easy. No, it isn't. It's not. Because what you're doing is you're admitting you are helpless. All of us who claim Jesus as Lord, we are declaring that we are helpless. We know we can't do anything to be right with God of our own accord. We can't control anything. And we absolutely deserve hell. 
And therefore, the only reason that we're saved is because of the grace of God, not anything else. It's not easy because what person wants to claim that they are helpless? But that's actually the gospel, right? All of salvation is based on Jesus and his works. His righteousness is imputed onto us. And in that great exchange, our sins are then draped on him on the cross. And some people understand that and they give glory to God. And then they side with the apostles. And there are those who just choose to remain blind. And those people in their hardness of hearts, they respond in jest. The tank convoy rears its ugly head and stares down the street. And these men and women seek to abuse and kill the messengers. Because look at verse five. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, tanks, right? They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby and the cities of a word I can't really pronounce and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So God makes known to them what they're plotting to do, whether that's by someone leaking these, these plans to them or this supernatural know-how. Somehow they, they figure out what's going on and they flee danger and they, they travel on. And wherever they went, they continued to share that same message. Christ crucified for our sins. There's a great exchange. Jesus has been risen from the grave. Repent, believe, and be saved. And some manuscripts actually have in the footnotes, and all the people were moved at their preaching, but Paul and Barnabas tarried at Lystra. But we can essentially just conclude that wherever God placed Paul and Barnabas, they were joyfully preaching the gospel with boldness. And because of that, people were being added to the kingdom of God every day. All right, now I want to end, end it like this. In Luke 14, Jesus tells us a parable of the banquet. Okay, if you guys don't remember, let me give you the highlights. There's a man who prepares this enormous banquet and he invites a ton of people which is a really funny expression that we say all the time because a ton of people, we mean like there's like a ton of people, like there's so many people, like thousands of people, but really like a ton of people is like 10 to 12 people <laughs> if you think about it. But anyway, that's a math joke. Anyway, this man invites a lot of people to the banquet, okay? And on the day of the banquet, he sends out his servants to tell the people that everything's ready. Hey, the table's set, food is good to go. It's just come out of the oven. Let's do this. And the servant comes back and tells the master, there's a lot of people that aren't coming. One person says that he bought a field and he's got to go inspect the field, so he's not coming. And another person says, well, I have livestock and I got to check them, whatever that looks like, so I can't come. And one person says, well, I'm getting married and I'm going to be on my honeymoon, so I'm not going to be able to make it. And so the servant comes back to the master and he says, no one's coming. And the master is angry. And not wanting his feast to be wasted, he extends the invite to now the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the outsiders, the people who were not originally on the invite list. Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done. I've gone out and I've invited those people, but there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, this is the warning, none of those men who were invited originally shall taste my banquet. See, Paul and Barnabas represent the servants. The Jews that rejected the invite to the banquet, 
There are those Jews. They were too busy with their religion to come and be bothered. They didn't see the purpose or value in attending that feast. And so they're going to miss out. And if I might be so bold, I right now am kind of acting like one of those servants because I'm telling you there's still room at the table. The master wants his house filled. Don't reject the invite. And for those of you who are already, you've already reserved your seat at the table. Now you're called to be a servant and declare boldly and unashamedly as Paul and Barnabas did that Jesus is the Christ. You need to go out and share that message. And I know that gets some of us scared. We, we start thinking, um, nope. I, I don't want to look silly. I, I don't want to rub my neighbor the wrong way or my coworker. I, you just, I can't, I can't do it. But if Paul and Barnabas can be anchored and speak in the face of tanks, we can as well. Because the same Holy Spirit that was in them, the same one that anchored them in Christ, the same one that gave them power to speak in boldness is the same one that is in you and me. And there is still room at the table. There's still room in the house. The master wants his house to be filled. And so we need to go be servants. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message. I'm so humbled now that you chose me. I, I don't know why you would extend your grace to me, but I am forever grateful. Because I couldn't do it on my own. I tried. And God, I know that that story is a lot of people's story. People here, people watching online. That is our story, and we are just humbled and so grateful that you love us. That you extended your grace and mercy to us. God, may we never take that for granted. God, may every time we take communion, you draw us back and remind us how great you are how wonderful your love is, how powerful your gospel is. God, and I pray for those who are listening who don't know you. God, that their hearts would be opened. That they would see that religion is not the answer. Doing better, trying harder is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. What they are searching for in this life can only be found in Jesus. And I pray, God, that they would turn to you. God, that you would awaken their hearts to your glorious gospel. And God, I pray for my friends here who are listening to this. God, that you would empower them. Maybe even right now that you would put someone in their minds that you want, him, you want them to share the gospel with. And God, as we start to feel that sense of fear or awkwardness or anxiety or whatever it is, God, that your Holy Spirit would take over and you would say, I'm with you. God, that you would give us boldness to stare down tanks for you. God, this message is too good 
to keep to ourselves. May we always remember that there is still room in your house. And God, send us, equip us to be your hands and feet. And we pray all that in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.